Hey everyone, it's Maya Geis with part five of Sugar Ball, Behind the Book, a companion podcast series where I talk to R. Lee Proctor about his new book, Sugar Ball, a novel of Negro League baseball. Today I talked to R. Lee about Sugar Ball's central conflict. When the players are offered a suitcase full of cash by Dr. Enrique Abar, a representative of Rafael Trujillo, to join a national baseball tournament in the Dominican Republic. Once there, the script quickly changes. New political realities are at the same time more fair and yet more sinister. In order to survive, the players will have to discover the real reasons they've been lured to the Dominican. The plane skids, skitters, and bumps as we float up to the dock. Before we can get off the plane, the hatch opens and a whirlwind flies in. Welcome, American gods of baseball! My name is Ulisa Perez, personal assistant to the great benefactor of the Dominican nation, Rafael Leonidas Trujillo Molina. She's a tall, slender, movie star pretty stick of dynamite dressed in tailored khaki army fatigues. A very special welcome has been prepared for you, and I will have the honor of capturing this glorious moment on film. What I want, the reason I'm here, is to give you permission to be what you are. We're baseball players, says Satchel, getting paid to do a job. No, Senior Page, says Ulisa. Senior Gibson, Senior Satchel Page, Senior Cool Papa Bell, all of you. You are not baseball players. You are gods. Gods ascending from the heavens to assist us here in the Dominican Republic so that we can achieve our destiny. A destiny that can be described in a single word, victory. She looks straight at Josh as she says, stand tall, embrace your destiny. Let my camera see the fierce pride that radiates from your confidence that you will achieve this victory. Drink in the adulation that is about to be heaped on you. Let my camera see the fierce pride that radiates from your confidence that you will achieve this victory. Drink in the adulation that is about to be heaped on you. Gentlemen, this is your moment. Savor it. So today I thought we'd talk a little bit about some of the other main characters in the book. I mean, we talked about Peanut, who's our protagonist before. But Peanut has the real distinct pleasure of following around some of um, the finest baseball players of the day. Talk about being at the right place at the right time. (laughs) And so three of his, you know, buddies are Josh Gibson, Satchel Paige, and Cool Papa Bell. Um, And so I was hoping you could tell us a a bit about each of these players. Sure, I'd be delighted to. Of course, uh, uh, let's start with Satchel Page. Satchel Page is probably the uh, one, probably the player that people who know some of baseball are likely to know, since he is probably the greatest legend of the Negro Leagues. Um, just an amazing guy. I mean, after probably the greatest career in Negro League baseball, at the age of 48, he became a rookie for the Cleveland Indians mm. and was 6-2 and two and helped them win uh, the pennant that year. I mean, the, the, your typical uh, rookie of the year is 22 or 23 years old. Mm-hmm. He was 48 years old and still had it. I can't think of a single baseball player. Nolan Ryan was 46 when he retired. Mm. Uh, Satchel was 48. When anyway, he started. When he started, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Satchel was, you know, he, he was... He was dominant in just about every 
every era of Negro League Baseball. In the early 30s, um, that's when he came into prominence. He became uh, the most prominent um, barnstorming pitcher of, of the Negro League era. That's where they really made their money. Um, and then he got, he was um, uh, hired by the Pittsburgh Crawfords in uh, 36, I think. That's where he joined Cool Papa Bell and Josh Gibson to have the powerhouse team of that era. And then in the 1940s, he joined the Kansas City Monarchs, mm-hmm. which were probably the greatest Negro League team of all time, mm-hmm. and pitched for them for like five or six years and consistently won pennants. And, you know, he's pitching 300 games a year, and uh, he was the highest-paid baseball player in America and didn't play Major League Baseball. Well, talk about swallowing your pride, right? Can you imagine being 48, one of the best players in the world, mm-hmm. playing, joining a rookie team? Well, true. The the when you say swallow your pride too, he was very um, frustrated that he wasn't the one chosen to break the color line. Mm. Everybody acknowledged he was the greatest player, even though he was in his late mid late forties then. But when Jackie when when uh, Branch Rickey chose Jackie Robinson to break the color line, Satchel was uh, <clears throat> greatly vexed by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so that was in 47. In 1948, Bill Veck, who was the owner of the Cleveland Indians, who was a wonderfully irreverent owner, uh, hired Page and a guy named Larry Doby to play for the Cleveland Indians. And they helped the Indians finally get over the top and, and, win, and win the pennant and then win the World Series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So... And another big player is, of course, Josh Gibson. Josh Gibson, I think, he's sort of the hero of the book. He is, um, I get, the word for Josh Gibson is mythic. He's like the Paul Bunyan of Negro League Baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is almost universally acknowledged as the black Babe Ruth, but a lot of people think that Babe Ruth should be the white Josh Gibson. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, within the last... Two or three years, Major League Baseball has chosen to accept uh, statistics from the Negro Leagues as they, they basically say the Negro Leagues should be acknowledged as a major league. Therefore, the statistics should be accepted by Major League Baseball. Mm. And uh, when you look at Josh Gibson's statistics, um, Babe Ruth had 714 home runs. Josh Gibson hit more than 800 home runs. Mm. Uh, the, the greatest, I think, Batting average in history was Ty Cobb, and I think it was like 366. Josh Gibson's lifetime career average is like 378. Um, But the thing that when you start like getting into the history of Josh Gibson, the thing that just astonishes everyone is the he not only hit a lot of home runs, he is generally acknowledged to be the only player ever to hit a home run out of Yankee Stadium. Hmm. Yankee Stadium has this famous, uh, the bleachers are kind of a two-tiered thing with a piece of lattice work at the top. Uh, Mickey Mantle came within 10 feet of hitting a ball out. Babe Ruth came within the same thing. Josh Gibson hit a ball out of, we're talking a a baseball that travels 650 feet. Mm -hmm. Um, And every park he played in, he did that. Everybody we talked to who saw Josh Gibson play, will automatically tell you some story about how he hit a ball 
that is that traveled so far that nobody could believe it. Mm. Um, Buck O'Neill, who was uh, one of the stars of the Ken Burns baseball series, uh, who was um, a great witness to many great things in the Negro Leagues, said that there was a quality that only happened twice in his life where somebody at bat would hit a ball so hard that the crack of the bat had a fundamentally different sound. Hmm. One of them was Babe Ruth and the other was Josh Gibson. Mm-hmm. There was, it, you know, it was like, a, it was like a, a thunderclap. And the thing, other thing to know about Josh Gibson is a bit sad, which is that he was this great, great player, couldn't play in the majors. <clears throat> in 1942, he uh, uh, ended up in the hospital and the doctors told him he had a brain tumor. Mm. But he refused to let them operate on him because he thought they was going to turn him into a vegetable. Mm-hmm. So he continued to play three more years with this brain tumor and still was hitting home runs and hitting over 300 and doing all this great stuff. But eventually uh, he had to quit in 1945 and he died in 1947 at the age of 35 mm. Three months before Jackie Robinson broke the color line. Mm-hmm. He was 35. He did all that amazing stuff, 800 home runs, and, and died and you know, quit playing when he was 33 and died when he was 35. That's pretty extraordinary. It also really speaks to the importance of histories, both mm-hmm. written and oral, yeah. right? Like how we know this about Josh Gibson, right? In True. A, in an era where, you know, a lot of this wasn't being um, tracked and... That's true. Yeah. And there's a long record uh, of white players and some owners who talked about Josh Gibson. Calvin Griffith, the owner of the Senators, who shows up in the book, uh, said Josh Gibson, you know, hit, hit more balls out of Griffith Stadium than the entire National League during the entire season. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of players on record saying something like, if 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 they accepted African American players into Major League Baseball, the owners wouldn't have enough money to pay Josh Gibson. <laughs> you know, he's just so far ahead of anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and the fact that he never uh, got a chance to play is just just tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, saying you saying that Satchel Paige, you know, is the highest paid professional baseball player says a lot considering he was probably stiffed out of half of his winnings. That's true. That's true. If, <laughs> so he was really making a premium. I know. Famously, they, you know, he would, uh, he, you know, he would usually in the, in the later days of his career, he would insist on being paid in cash before the game. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that's out of bitter experience. Yeah. And I mean, you, you've drawn a few parallels between baseball and music for mm-hmm. a lot of the black musicians who were touring at the time. But um, I've met a couple recently, a couple older musicians who were playing at a time when they would also get stiffed. And so a lot of them do like to play. A, they'll request payment ahead of the gig. Um, but then sometimes they'll wait off stage right before the gig and demand, actually, they want twice as much. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want us to go out, you know, you're going to pay us twice as much. And it's because they were just, they've just been screwed so yeah. many times. Um, yeah. But last but certainly not least, Cool Papa Bell, who's the peacemaker of the three. Yeah. Cool Papa Bell in the book is kind of the voice of reason. And he was, he was a, uh, everybody, there's, there, a new bio uh, came out on him. Uh, the first one ever written about two years ago. 
and basically said he was this kind, gentle soul. After he retired from baseball, he became a coach. He was famous for mentoring players. A lot of players, you know, who were like who made it in Major League Baseball said, Kubaba taught me not only how to play, how to steal bases, how to slide without injuring myself, but how to carry myself, you know, how to, how to be in the game with some dignity and, um, you know, what to do in critical situations. Uh, Kool Papa Bell was 34 years old in uh, 1937 when the, when the story takes place, and he was still the fastest guy mm-hmm. in, in baseball. You know, he was, uh, I'm sure that you've, like, when you mention Cool Papa Bell, everybody talks about the fact that uh, Satchel Paige when somebody asked him how, how fast was Cool Papa Bell, and he said, well, and he roomed with Cool Papa Bell, and he said, Cool Papa Bell could, at night, could turn out the lights and be under the covers before it got dark. <laughs> <laughs> he was famous for getting a bunt single, stealing second, stealing third, and then either stealing home or getting home on a, uh, on a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So he could turn a single into a run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people say he was the fastest. You know, on a, on a typical uh, outfield single, he hit the ball to the outfield. The, the guy fields it and throws it in. He could get to second base, which is extraordinary. You know, they're just I can't think of another player who could do that. Mm-hmm. So, and we see both Josh and Satchel Paige uh, experienced transformations throughout the course of the story they change um we see josh sort of go from being more of a sidekick to a leader mm-hmm. uh we see satchel page move from being this sort of money focused <laughs> uh, self-centered individual to someone that really understands that it is about the team mm-hmm. that's true that that's those are the the yes uh, books are all about characters changing what's the change peanut changes from somebody who idolizes Gus Greenlee and thinks about money to understanding the importance of integrity in being in life. Mm-hmm. You know, Josh is tested where his life is on the line and he has to think about more than himself because he promised Peanut's mother that he would take care of him. And there, be- there comes a circumstance where he is faced with a life and death situation and he discovers about himself that he can muster the courage and the fortitude to do the right thing in any circumstance, you know, even when his own life isn't assured. Mm-hmm. So, and and Satchel also undergoes a major change where he does the wrong thing mm-hmm. and he understands that um, there's a consequence to that and the fact that he was for- forgiven by the, his teammates causes him to, I think, go forward with a different attitude about how he's going to lead his life. Mm-hmm. Got so, a second chance. Yeah, he did. And, uh, okay, I'm uh, not sure I'd go down that other road again because now he could he could see the consequences of what, he, what he'd done. Mm-hmm. So he became a better person. And can you tell us a little bit about how these players would tour during the offseason? They would oftentimes play against um, these white all-stars. Mm-hmm. Sure. There's um, uh, This was... Quite a popular team uh, thing. This began in the late 1930s. Uh, Dizzy Dean uh, approached that Satchel Page and says, "You know something? Uh, what we ought to do is that uh, you'll get a team of African American All Stars 
I'll get a team of white all-stars, and then we'll barnstorm around for like a month, month and a half after the season. This became wildly popular. They, 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 uh, Disney Dean made more money in the month and a half barnstorming than he did during the regular season, and he was a star player. Hmm. Then in the 1940s, uh, Bob Feller, the famous fireballing pitcher for the Cleveland Indians, uh, approached um, um, Page with the same proposition, and they did the same thing. Major League Baseball hated this idea. They did everything possible to shut it down, but they, they couldn't legally do anything, so they passed some cockamamie rule saying that there was a window of six weeks after the season where they could do it, blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, and, and Feller got rich doing that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that, and those yeah, – here's another statistic. Um, in, in those games, the, uh, the, the African-American teams – won, I think, 360 of those games, and the white teams won like 240 or something like that. <laughs> so the, the, the black, now it could be argued that the black players had more to prove, mm. uh, but they dominated that, 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 those series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, whatever the reason is, right, it, it might be that you have something to prove if you're winning games, you're winning games. So yeah. <laughs> Well, there's, Whatever you know, it is. The, the, the white owners wouldn't let black players play, and they, the, the uh, stupid reason they used is, well, we, we, we're, not, we're not actually banning black players from playing. They're just not up to our standards. Mm-hmm. They, just, they just don't measure up to, you know, and, and so the black players were basically saying, oh, yeah, well, and why are we beating the white players consistently? You know, I mean, it was all... The, the the white owners knew it was nonsense. Yeah, the target's always moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they, the reason keeps changing. One of the things I want to ask you about today, um, and something you touched on earlier, is baseball's inevitable integration. As you mm. mentioned, Branch Rickey integrated the game in 1947. That's right. Uh, famously, back in, oh boy, when, when, when uh, Branch Rickey was just starting out, he was a, uh, he was... I believe he was an educator, and he was working at a college, and he coached the college team. And the college team he was coaching had one African-American player. And they were playing another team, and the other team refused to take the field if the African-American player played. And Ricky was, of course, horrified by this, and he went back to uh, the locker room, and the player was, like, clawing at his own skin. Hmm. And he said, if only I didn't have this black skin. This was like around 1903 or something like that. And Ricky never forgot that. And, you know, he, he's a righteous guy. He made it his business that he was going to integrate baseball. And he did it. His campaign took about, I'd say, about five years. Like he um, uh, sent his scouts out to scout every Negro League team to find exactly the right player. You had to find a player with a, huge, a, a lot of talent, somebody who's young enough to have a career, and somebody who is very intelligent and also had the emotional makeup uh, to be able to take all the abuse mm-hmm. that, the, that the fans were going to give him. Yeah, the emotional stamina is in a way more important than the physical stamina. Uh, absolutely. Yes, yeah. yes, that's, that's true. So eventually he finds Jackie Robinson recently... Uh, he was playing for the Kansas City Monarchs, 
Um, and, um, you know, there's a whole story about how Ricky tests him and can he, can he uh, accept all this abuse and sends him uh, for a year in 1946 to the uh, Montreal Royals. Uh, and Robinson's a sensation. It's 360, leads the Royals to the minor league uh, World Series, wins. Mm. And uh, then Ricky brings him up. And here's one of my favorite parts of that story. So Ricky is the only guy who has like probably a hundred or more scouting reports in all these black players. Now, um, many owners would have said, boy, what a bonanza. I've got all this information. Nobody else has it. I can, I can have all these great players to myself. Ricky sends all of this data to all of the other owners because he said this experiment isn't going to work if only the Brooklyn Dodgers have good African-American players. So here it is. It's free. Go out and get these guys. Put them on your team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that made all the difference. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the other part of that story that's is kind of poignant is that the general feeling was that if a team put an African-American player on the field, no white fans would ever show up again. And, of course, what happened is Robinson played – and the Brooklyn Dodgers had the greatest attendance season of their lives, and Robinson was a huge, huge uh, draw at the gate everywhere he went. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everything they thought was wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and we saw this happen in music. I, you know, you've told me the story about how, uh, I believe it was John Hammond, uh, convinced his brother-in-law, Benny Goodman, to hire Teddy Wilson to play piano in his big band. That's right. This was like 1938, mm-hmm. and the same stuff was going on. People said, well, if you, you know, once you put a black player on your team, uh, uh, you're never going to get another booking in the South. Uh, all your national radio contracts will be um, canceled. You'll never get another hotel booking. And uh, Goodman was a little freaked out by this. But uh, uh, Hammond, who is famously a righteous guy, he's the guy who discovered Count Basie, discovered Billy Holiday, um, said, you got to do it because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And he did. And nobody cared. <laughs> nobody Except cared. the band got better. Yeah. <laughs> Sugar Ball, Behind the Book, is produced and edited by Matthew Solari and hosted by myself, Maya Geis. This episode's version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game was arranged and performed by E. Jammy Jams. You can find Sugar Ball, a novel of Negro League baseball, everywhere books are available. To learn more about our league, visit richlyspun.com. <laughs>